You're listening to Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Here, we'll chat about all things marriage, motherhood, and modern home economics in all honesty. I'm your host, Maris Young. Thank you so much for joining, Emily. I'm really happy to have you on Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here talking to you. So I wanted to start out by really allowing you to tell our listeners about who you are and who you are becoming. Yeah, gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I can give you the, you know, on paper what I am and who I am. I'm a mom. I have almost three-year-old daughter. She'll be three in like two weeks. Oh and um, I'm also a postpartum doula. Um, so I've been doing that for about, gosh, it's been almost a year now. So not too long, but it's longer than I thought it's been now that I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and before that, and still pretty much now I'm a stay at home mom and have been ever since like two weeks before my daughter Zia was born. Wow. So what made you decide to stay at home with your daughter? So... I think it was, it's always been something that I have kind of just known that I wanted to do. I grew up with a mom who stayed at home and, um, I just always thought that for me, that was what was best. And I really appreciated having my mom around, um, and always wanted to provide that security for my kids too. Um, and so it was kind of a, interesting journey getting to that point because my daughter was a big surprise. We'd been married less than a year when we found out we were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so financially we weren't even in a place, even close to a place that we would have wanted to be to start a family. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, I mean, really up until I was about 37 weeks, I thought I was going to have to go back to work part-time. And that was something that was really hard for me to accept. Um, but I was just trusting that God would provide something. And sure enough, like literally, I would, I think it was like three weeks before Zia was born. Um, my husband got a promotion and I was wow. able to stay home. So it was kind of like a lot, it was a lot of mindset shifts. I feel like my whole pregnancy of like, Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm pregnant now. Wow. Wasn't expecting that for a couple years. Mm -hmm. Also, I always wanted to stay home and now I don't think I can do that. And oh wait, yes, now I can stay home and the baby's going to be born in like three weeks. <laughs> so wow. yeah, that's it was a lot. A yeah. yeah. So once your husband got promoted and you found out that you could stay at home with your daughter, how did you go about transitioning from working outside the home to preparing the nest and getting ready to welcome a baby? Honestly, I, I, I kind of took for granted like that, oh, this is just what I've always wanted to do and now I have it. So ta-da, like hmm. I'm ready. And I really didn't understand, um, not what I was getting myself into because it sounds, <laughs> that makes it sound bad, but I really didn't understand what a huge transition it was going to be. Like not only the transition of becoming a mom and having a baby, but transitioning right. from working and being with other adults 
and making your own money to mm-hmm. all of, literally all of a sudden not having that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I was not, I know that I was not prepared for it. And I would say the first few months were really, really hard for me. Hmm. What do you think made it so difficult for that transition? Like, do you think it's, you mentioned, you know, not being around other adults and not being able Mm -hmm. to make your own money, but do you think those two elements were what made it so difficult or was there something else? I think, I think, um, it's kind of a combination of a lot of different things. I think that regardless of your, um, social situation, family situation, work situation, becoming a mother is a really isolating thing anyway, because everyone's journey is really, really personal Mm -hmm. and it's very individualized and there are similarities, but no one story is the same. So that in and of itself is isolating. Um, and then I just think, I really just think because there wasn't really a space that I felt like I could be surprised by this and that I could talk to people about this okay. because I feel like everyone just kind of makes it, everyone just kind of keeps to themselves about it. And it's not really that, that talked about. Um, and just the transition to, mo- to motherhood in general. And so mm-hmm. I think I didn't really have a space, an outlet um, to talk about those kind of things. And I think that made it really difficult. Hmm. So in, you know, starting to settle into the fact that, okay, now I have this baby, now I'm staying at home and I'm realizing that I'm having these feelings and I'm not necessarily who to, not necessarily sure who to turn to. How did you, how did you start coming out of that mindset? Were you eventually able to find like-minded people that were able to function as your community, so to speak, or what, what was it that kind of brought you through that time? Um, so that took me, it actually took me quite a while to find like, um, other mothers and women and people that I could talk to. Um, none of my friends, I was really relatively young when I had Zia and none of my friends, a lot of my friends weren't even married at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was really difficult. My friendships changed a lot. I think that made it also really different. Um, and I think it was just allowing myself time to figure it out. I think that that was like a really big thing for me to accept the fact that I was having a hard time and this was actually way more difficult than I thought it was going to be and to just be okay with that being the case and to just find my footing and trust that that was going to happen for me. I think that that was a big kind of took the stress off of myself of feeling like I need to figure this out now and I need to fix it now. Because even now, three years later, I feel like with every stage you're, you're having to refigure it out. Yes. I would agree. It's like every day we're born again and it's like, okay, so for Milo, he's turning two and I've been a mother for almost two years, but I still feel like I don't really know what I'm doing because he's changing every day. And the things that I learned about him yesterday aren't necessarily applicable to the little being that he's becoming today. 
And it's just a constant like rebalancing, trying to find my footing Mm. and trying to find what works for now and being okay when that shifts. And that for Mm. me personally has been a struggle because I I tend to be someone who likes to hold on to routine, hold on to Mm. um, the expected and motherhood has been all about the unexpected for me. Yes. Yes. I totally relate. Mm. Okay. So as you were making peace with just being where you were, I'm trying to imagine you in this situation. Like what, tell me a little bit more about what it looked like to bring a baby home and your husband's working. And I'm also thinking now about how you're a postpartum doula. Did you have a a woman or a person or people in your life who functioned in that role for you as you were transitioning into motherhood? Um, I didn't have anyone who stepped in in that way emotionally for me. Okay. I had a lot of practical support. My mother-in-law came to stay with us for several days right after Zia was born. Um, And that was, you know, it was a very big help logistically. Like she did all the cooking for us and um, it was just a really big help in that way. Um, food and nourishment postpartum is such a huge deal. And, um, I feel like the Indian culture, my husband is Indian. And so they really respect the postpartum period as far as nourishing and resting goes. And so having her there in that regard was really good, but I didn't have a single person, um, who would doula me emotionally. Mm. Um, and it was, it was really, really hard. I mean, I, I'm very close to my sister and she was there quite a bit. Um, but it's just really hard when, when she's not a mom, you know, she doesn't understand at all what it could be like. And so there's just a different sort of, um, there's just always going to be that barrier there. And it's something that I've really had to make peace with. Um, kind of, especially now with all the education that I have of seeing the way, things could have been better. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really been hard for me to work through and make peace with, um, with my own early postpartum days of boundaries that I could have set, um, wishing that I had had a postpartum doula, just all kinds of, all kinds of things. But along with that, it has helped me um, to just make peace and understand that I was doing the best that I could with the information that I had. That's so important. I think it's very easy to get caught up in, I wish things could have been, or, you know, if only I had, or what if I would have, you know, and Mm. we're not living in the present when we start Mm -hmm. indulging in thoughts like those. And the truth is we can't go back and change anything about how things went for our Mm. personal situation. So in becoming a postpartum doula, what, what sparked you to, to take that path? Um, it was definitely my own postpartum experience. Okay. Um, that was just, it was really inspirational for me of, you know, there is a a very big lack here. Um, there's a lack of education, a lack of, you know, prenatal 
preparation for the postpartum period, aside from the kind of medical textbook textbook aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really just, because I know what it felt like to be really, you know, emotionally unsupported, aside from my husband, but, you know, from a woman to woman support, which right. is just so important for a new mom. And so that was, that was really my catalyst was my, was my own journey and wanting to provide that for other women. I feel like it's, it's been kind of healing for me. It's like, even though I didn't have that, I can help other women potentially have that. Mm. And so for anyone who may be unfamiliar with the term, can you define what a postpartum doula is and and kind of talk about what a postpartum doula does? Yes. So a postpartum doula is um, a non-medical support um, person, caretaker for newborn moms. And I stress newborn moms because as a postpartum doula, your focus is the mother and not the baby. Mm. So you're there to mother the new mother um, and just basically be her advocate and, and her assistant in most any way that she needs. I mean, it can look really different for different people. It's emotional support, um, debriefing the birth, helping them integrate and process that and talk about that. Um, it can be something super basic like infant care, showing them how to bathe the baby and burp the baby and talk about formula feeding and bottle feeding and um, breastfeeding education, um, going grocery shopping. I mean, emotional and very practical help. Mm. I would and say. how long does that support last for the new mother? So um, technically, usually most of uh, the majority of the visits are going to take place within the first six weeks. Okay. Um, and every doula is different in their definition of postpartum and what their um, services, like how long they'll give their services. For me personally, I just, I want to help mothers. And I firmly believe that postpartum never ends. And that once you have a baby, um, you're just, you're in the postpartum. And, um, I would love to help moms even beyond those first six weeks, the first couple of months. I mean, just beyond, I mean, mothering a toddler, as you know, (laughs) I mean, I would love to have a postpartum doula come and help me and, and support me emotionally. And, um, so yeah, and it's going to look different, but. So, okay. So let's say you've finished working with the client after six weeks of support. What are a couple things that you hope she, the new mother, has taken away from her time with you? My number one thing is that I want moms to trust themselves and to trust their intuition Mm -hmm. and to really take ownership of the fact that they do have this. You know, even if you do and you will feel like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I have no idea. Um, but just to have that really deep trust in your intuition as a woman and as a mother, uh, that's my number one thing. And I think if you have that, um, it's just so much easier to navigate all of the stages that you're going to go through in the future. I would agree. I definitely agree, but I feel like I talk to a lot of women actually who feel like they don't know how to 
cultivate that mm-hmm. kind of intuition and they're almost afraid mm-hmm. to trust themselves. So mm-hmm. what would your advice be to someone who's who's struggling with listening to that inner voice and and honoring it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um I think it's something that's really nuanced and can be different for everyone, but I think a big thing is stop googling so much. Mm. Stop reading so much. Yes. I'm all for I'm all for education and being prepared, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't sit right with you, it doesn't matter if the entire rest of the population does it. If it doesn't sit right with you, just don't do it or do something else or do it differently. Mm. I think that we're just really oversaturated and the internet, I mean, it's like you can Google that you have pain in your right toe and it says that you have cancer. Like, so, you know, you Google, you Google something about your baby and it's just like terrifying and there are so many opinions. Um, and I, I really do think that we just need to sit back and listen to our babies and listen to ourselves. I think that's my that would be my biggest piece of advice. I love that. I think that's something that we can all start to do in our daily lives. I mean, and I think you brought up a good point too. I think at the end of the day, when women come to me and say that they have a difficult time figuring out how to listen and honor their listen to and honor their intuition. It's because they don't necessarily understand what intuition is, but you just brought up a good point. Like when you feel like something is not right, like that underlying feeling is intuition starting to totally. to pop up. And it doesn't have to be anything more like complex or sophisticated than that. It's just a feeling, you know, or like mm. maybe that's right. Exactly what you said. Maybe that's right for everyone else, but that just for whatever reason doesn't feel right for me. And I think in your advice, like just giving women the permission to to try something else and be okay mm-hmm. with the fact that, you know, you know, whatever was presented to me as a possible solution just doesn't fit for what I'm trying to do or like how I'm trying to raise my family and that's okay is huge. Yeah. I find a lot of women you know, are almost crippled with guilt and feeling like, you know, they should do things in a certain way or, you know, the society or they, you know, just the ominous they um, mm. expect things to happen in a certain way. So I'm curious, like, what what do you think about expectations in motherhood and, and how do you, how do you sit with, um, you know, what society is saying and um, what everyone else is doing and, and try to weigh like mm-hmm. whether or not that's going to be right for you? Um, I think that it's, I think that the societal and cultural expectations on women and especially on mothers are really unrealistic and really unfair. You know, that the idea of, oh my gosh, yes, women can do it all. I think it's a very harmful message. Um, because we can't do it all. And if we try to do it all, we're Mm -hmm. not going to do it well. Um, And so I think that there's that aspect to it of of just figuring out what your key priorities are and not trying to do it all. And looking at your family unit and and asking yourself, what do I, Mm. what is important for us? Um, One thing that oh my gosh, I forget where I read it or someone told it to me. I, I just, I totally forget. 
I wish I remembered, but it's been so helpful for me in my parenting decisions, but it's the desert island question. If it was just you and your partner and your child, children on an island, would you stress about this? Would Mm. this be important to you? How would you do this? And that has been so key for me in, in navigating, um, especially for us, the sleeping situation. My daughter has never been a quote, good sleeper. And, um, I remember I was, I think she was about maybe four or five months old when people start really freaking out about sleeping through the night and going to bed at seven 30. And, you know, that's just what everyone does and that's totally fine, but it, it just was not working for us. And it wasn't working for our lifestyle. Zia was not having it. And that was around the time that I heard the desert island question. And I thought, well, no, I, I mm. wouldn't stress about getting her to bed at 7.30. That's just not important to me. And that, like having okay. that thought was so liberating of like, okay, yeah, I can put my kid to bed right. at 10 o'clock when I go to bed. And then we can just wake up at nine. Like I don't have to do it the same way as everyone else. And I think that, um, yeah, that question is really helpful. I haven't heard that question before, but I, I want to start using it because I, I definitely agree with you when you say that the message that women can do it all can be really harmful because we start to to believe that mm-hmm. we should and that um, you know the people around us are doing it. So what's wrong with us yeah. if we can't? And at the end of the day, I think taking the time to sit down and reflect on the values that you have, that you and your partner have, that you and your family have is so important because otherwise, how can you weigh your actions against what you value if you're not even sure, you know, what is actually valuable to you? Um, So what are are some of the things that are most valuable to you and your family? Um, I think it's a really broad term, but um, slow living Um, that's Mm. something that is really, really important to me. I'm very introverted. Um, I'm a type four on the Enneagram if you're an Enneagram person. Um, (laughs) so it's just very important to me to be able to, um, spend intimate time with my family every single day. Um, and for, Um, Zia and I just to have very flexible, um, loose days where our schedule is not super full and we're not overdoing it. And Mm -hmm. I have found um, that that's why during the holiday season and things like that, I can just, I can, it just reminds me why I have made the sacrifices and made the decisions that I've made to keep everything slow and simple Um, Because for all three Mm -hmm. of us, that is just what helps us to function optimally. I mean, that's like the most important thing. And I think that I weigh all of my commitments and everything off of that kind of overlying um, priority. Mm. That's a really good one. I'll ask you about your other values in a few minutes, but I kind of want to talk about this one because. When I transitioned into stay-at-home motherhood, I I had been working for about nine months, and I had this fantasy, if you will, 
while I was still working and thinking about what life would be like as a stay-at-home mom, I I envisioned myself doing all of these activities, going Mm. to swim classes, going to story times, going to this, going to that, and really filling our days with activities, you know, just something engaging and stimulating. And when I actually made the transition into staying at home full-time with Milo and it was not like that, I started really getting down on myself, you know, just feeling like we should always be doing Mm. something at all times, you know, and we're not doing something. So what can I do to fill our time? And it took me a long time to realize that actually slowing down and keeping our schedule really loose and flexible and open was what was best for Milo and in turn, Mm. what was best for me. Um, I think it's really easy to to start thinking that because all of these opportunities are available to us, that we should be doing them. Um, but it all stems back to what you said before, just taking the time to think about, does this actually sit well with me and my yes. family? And if not, is it okay yeah, to let it go? Totally. And I, and I think it's- I think asking yourself those questions and keeping more of that um, – flexible aspect to your days helps you Mm -hmm. um, be able to listen to your intuition more when you're not so busy and you're not filling things up so much. It's like, you're just able to hear you're you can hear yourself better and you can hear your child better when you've slowed down. Right. Right. And I am just thinking about this too. One of the other things that was a challenge when I was in the mindset of we always have to be doing something is that for me personally, motherhood has not been like very routine. Mm. So trying to stick to very scheduled activities that happen at a certain time on a certain day, and then realizing that for whatever reason, like I just wasn't going to be able to make it on time or Milo was super fussy and he needed a nap around the time that we should have been leaving. You know, it was causing me so much stress. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of these things were free activities. So it's not like I was even paying for them or like anyone was going to miss us if you weren't there, but just having that expectation that I needed to be there. And as you said, just like constantly being on the go, I was ignoring the intuition and ignoring the clear signs that were popping up that like, okay, actually maybe I do just need to slow down. Milo's trying to take a nap. I'm really tired. Um, and, and those are just simple ways that we can care for ourselves as mothers. Um, is by making that space, you know, to, to say, no, I, we're just going to stay at home and, and do something here. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's, I'm just realizing that. Um, <laughs> so tell me about another one of the values that have been really important for your family to uphold. Um, I think that I would say one is just the way that we parent in general, just with, um, gentle, respectful parenting. It's kind of Mm -hmm. like an all pervasive practice Mm -hmm. um, and something that you really need to constantly reaffirm Um, in the day to day. It can be, you know, I I personally am such a reactive person and um, I want things to go the way that I want them to go. And I want Zia to act the way that I want her to act. And so I think that that is, that's a principle that's so important to my husband and I. Um, 
And that's something that we really, really work really hard for not only us, but to to educate grandparents and family members and everything about this is the way that we do things. And that I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but that can be really scary. Like that can be, you know, cause they've raised kids, like they knew what they were doing. And maybe if it was a little bit different than the way they did things, like it can just be, you know, even though I have like incredible in-laws and my dad's great, everyone's really respectful. It's still kind of, like scary to say something, you know, if something's not being done the way that you would, that you would like it to be done. Mm. Okay. So this brings up two questions that are kind of related. The first is I'm curious about how you and your husband started having the conversations around your parenting technique or your parenting style. Mm -hmm. How did that come to be? That's a really good question. It, it definitely started while I was pregnant. I remember okay. that I um, had read about attachment parenting. And I read, I think the first book that I ever read when I was pregnant was Spiritual Midwifery by Ina May Gaskin. My midwife mm-hmm. gave it to me, our midwife. You and I have the same midwife. Yes. <laughs> so special. Um, so um, I read that book. And that really got me on the track of that, you know, natural, very gentle mindset. And I started, I, I read about Dr. Sears and mm-hmm. about, you know, attachment parenting that kind of piqued my interest. And so I bought his attachment parenting book where he talks about the baby bees and everything about attachment parenting. And I remember um, my husband is so great and he's really open to, um, my ideas and the way that I want to do things. And, um, he just, he really respects like my intuition and, um, really trusts me, which is, uh, really special. And so I, I bought that book and I was like, okay, every night we're going to read a chapter. Hmm. And I remember he got really excited when there was like that whole portion in the book about father's bonding and baby wearing and how to maximize bonding. If you have to go to work and, And we were just reading the book and we're like, man, this just makes so much sense to us. Like, this is just totally for us. And um, yeah, I think I never read the book after that. And I never really read any other parenting book after that. Um, Because the thing that really, I really love about attachment parenting is that it's all about listening to yourself and listening to your baby. Like, yeah, mm. there are those, um, the principles, the baby wearing and the breastfeeding and the bed sharing and all of that kind of stuff. But all of that is really just ancient stuff that humans have been doing since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it, it was just very intuitive of like, oh yeah, this just feels right for me. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think that that book and the whole idea behind attachment parenting, there are a lot of misconceptions around it. And, you know, a lot of people's toes curl when you use that that parenting phrase. Mm-hmm. But it's just been really, it was just really helpful for me of, of kind of saying like, it's okay and it's good to just trust yourself and listen to your baby and kind of do whatever you and your baby want. That's good. That's kind of the the theme of attachment parenting really mm-hmm. is just doing it your own way. Hmm. And so this brings me to my second question. When 
other people are involved in your child's life, whether it be family or friends, and you know they start behaving or responding to your child in a way in which you're not okay with, how do you go about broaching those conversations and setting those boundaries? I think that could be really hard for people, and I'm curious to hear your yes. take on things. So fortunately for me, there have there has never been um, a big – instance where I'm like, that is absolutely not okay. And I, you know, get mama bear about it. Um, I've never had, I have not had that at this point. Um, it, one thing that kind of, I guess, prevented that from happening a little bit was that Zia was very, very, um, wary of other people. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of, opportunity for people to overstep that much because mm-hmm. it was just like well you know she she didn't uh, until she was older she didn't really spend a lot of time with people apart from us mm-hmm. or even if we were there like go off with other people so i think that that made it a little bit easier um there's the big thing that a lot of people run into with with relatives who love the the kids so much is like with the hugging and the kissing and all of that stuff when We're really trying to teach her consent and body autonomy and all of that. Um, But that's been pretty simple to navigate, navigate of really instead of talking to the relative or the friend, talk to Zia and say, hey, Zia, do you want to give, you know, so-and-so a hug? And she kind of acts wary and maybe the person is trying. And I'm like, it's okay. If you don't want to give them a hug, you don't have to. You know, so kind of that signals to the person, oh, okay, so I'm not going to try anymore. And I'll, you know, we've taught her to give knucks or high five or something if she wants to do that. So I found that that in, in situations like that, it's really helpful, especially when the kids are a little bit older to kind of address the kid and reaffirm, like, you are in control of the situation. I'm here. Like I'm, I'm on your side. I'm supporting you. That is huge. That is huge. I feel like when your child knows that they are at their core, they're supported by their parents and they feel safe to make smart decisions, you know, um, and the, the decisions that are best for who they are as mm. a being. And, um, it, it's something that I'm learning to, to honor with Milo, because as we said earlier, it can be very easy to be like, well, this is, you know, someone wants to kiss you. Like it's, you yeah. come on, it's grandma or whatever, but yeah. I've actually, to your point, been working on saying to him, um, oh, um, would you like to give grandma a kiss? If not, just like you said, it's okay. And and not throwing it out there as a command, you know, right. just presenting it as an option yeah. and moving on when he chooses not to engage in that way. So yes, I think that's really good advice for just how to look at the situation and and how to to see that as parents being on your child's side really does set them up for just a healthy healthy way to set boundaries around yes, things. just to trust themselves. Yeah. It's like when you trust them to make appropriate decisions for themselves, then they're going to they're going to trust that and they're going to they're going to learn to listen to their intuition from a really young age. I mean, imagine like Mm. with us parenting Milo and Zia like this, like maybe it won't be as difficult for them to tap into their intuition when they get older. 
That, yeah, that would be amazing. I hope so. I know. <laughs> if all goes according to plan. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So now I'm thinking in having the conversations with your husband and it was sounds amazing that you guys were able to get on the same page before she was even born and to have these conversations about things. How are things now that Zia's here? She's almost three. Like, what does it look like for you guys to um, to parent as partners? Um, that you know that is a very interesting one because he and I are very like minded, but we don't talk about parenting that much, and I think sometimes it can kind of bite us in the butt. We we started, I feel like because I'm home with her all day, I'll observe behaviors and I'll maybe read an article and I'll come to a parenting conclusion. And then I go about my life and I forget to share with him, hey, mm-hmm. this is a practice that I think we should implement. This is something that I really think we should stop saying to her. Or this is a way that I would rather rephrase this. Um, and so sometimes... He'll do the thing that we've been doing that I have decided not to do. Mm-hmm. And so in the moment, I'll be like, oh, wait, no, we're not saying that anymore. And and it'll kind of make him be like, okay, well, I didn't know. Like, you need to fill me in. I'm right. on board, but I need to know. You know, that just happened a few days ago. I had decided, you know, I'm sure you're starting to experience with Milo turning two, but with Zia about to be three, we've really... <laughs> It's just a different phase. And so we started using those, you know, um, kind of threats, like we really need to leave somewhere and she is really not into it. And we'll be like, okay, well, I guess mommy and daddy will just go without you then. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so then that'll usually get her to, you know, get her shoes on and and get going. But I kind of came to the conclusion that I really didn't want to make empty threats like that. You know, we wouldn't really leave her. It's kind of a lie. I'm, you know, I just really wasn't into doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I didn't share that with a B. And so it was happening. We really needed to go. And he was just doing what we had decided to do. And was like, okay, see, I guess mommy and daddy will leave without you. And in that moment, I'm like, oh, no, we're not saying that anymore. You know? And so mm-hmm. I think that that's something that I could, that we really need to improve on is, you know, even if it's just a text, like comes into my head and I'm like, hey, I've right. been thinking about this, you know, while he's at work just something to communicate a little bit more um, about things that change because like we were saying, it's so nuanced and things have to change and maybe from day to day. And, and as I think about things and as, as he thinks about things, just the way that, that we want to do things is going to change, but we, we have to stay on the same page. That's crucial. That's actually good advice that I want to start taking because I've been in a similar situation where you know, because I am at home all day and I have my phone at my disposal and I can look up something and, you know, come to a quick conclusion. I think sending over a text to to my husband would be nice. It's like, Hey, I was thinking about this. Maybe we can talk about it later. Yeah. Because the other thing is you just forget, like the day totally. goes on, like you said, and you like other challenges arise or other events are taking place and you've got to take care of the house and, and things like that. And it's like, you know, it's it slipped your mind by the time you see your partner again. Yes. Yeah, totally. And especially as the kids get older and they're able to understand, oh, wait, mom and dad are not on the same page. You know, that's, that's not, it's not good for them to see. They need to, they, we need to be a united, 
you know, team, all three of us. Right. And so, you know, as she gets older, that's definitely something that I don't want her to see like, oh, mom and dad are really inconsistent and they're not doing the same thing all the time. And yeah. Um, yeah. That's huge. And so in an effort to stay on the same page, like, are you guys making time for yourselves as partners? Like, I know a lot of people in the motherhood postpartum space talk a lot about date nights and things like that. So what does it look like for you? Because I know for every couple, it's different. Yes. Um, I, in the beginning, I had a really, I would say for the first movie, six months, I had a really hard time being a wife and a mom and figuring out how I was going to wear those two different hats and honestly feeling resentful about it. Mm. Um, like everyone was expecting too much of me. Like not only did I have to mother all day and all night, you know, those first six months, it's like full on breastfeeding all the time, not mm-hmm. getting any sleep. Just it's so full on. And then also I'm supposed to like give my husband attention and, you know, intimacy was a whole other thing that I was just totally not into. Mm -hmm. And so I I would say for the first six months, it was very, um, luckily we have such a foundation of friendship that like things weren't bad, but the husband and wife aspect was like very much on the back burner. And it was kind of like we were survival partners, like just Mm -hmm. helping each other out and getting through the days and the nights. Um, but I do remember it was for our sec was our second, I guess it's our, it was our second wedding anniversary. She was like eight months old. Is it our second? I'm so confused with the timeline now. (laughs) Yes. I think it was our second. Um, yeah, it was 2016. So we went on a date to go see a movie and that was like our first, like, long-ish like you know three-hour date because Zia Mm -hmm. wouldn't take a bottle okay and pumping never ever went well for me I could I could never express very much so we really couldn't be gone that long but it by eight months it was like okay we can leave her for a few hours and if if she just doesn't eat that's fine Mm -hmm. um and so I think that it was around the eight month mark things kind of started changing and um, I started kind of getting into the groove and figuring out and and realizing that it has to be fluid and it's not two different hats that you that you have to wear. It's mm. just you and trying to figure out um, what that looks like for you and what it looks like for your partner. And just as the years have gone on, um, we've really been uh, really blessed that my in-laws live like 20 minutes away. And so I would say at least once a month, um, we have, we go on a date. That's nice. Yeah. I like what you said about realizing that it's not two different hats. It's just you, but I can relate to, to feeling like everyone's asking too much of you. Um, especially in the early throes of motherhood, as you're just learning how to keep a little human alive, um, and keep yourself going. And then, you know, your partner's there. So just trying to integrate like all those aspects into this new identity, I think is, is huge and not something that I was aware of before it happened to me. Yes. Mm. So yeah, I think for us, like a big thing was talking about it, like keeping an open dialogue. 
that was that was just a really big thing for us of just like and we're still that way of how I'm feeling and what's going on and um just having that open door to talk about it um keeps a lot of um it makes it easier to not be hurt right yeah I think that communication is key as they say so in in talking about the different roles, you know, like, okay, first you're a wife and then a mother and as a stay-at-home mom, um, taking on that homemaker role. I've seen a lot of your posts on social media and I think you have such a beautiful way of looking at taking care of the home. Can you kind of share what your mindset is around homemaking for the listeners? Yes. So my, you know, on my best days and my best times, my my mindset for um, being a homemaker is really just that aspect of holding space um, for the people who live in it and making it a really just a lovely place to be energetically and aesthetically um, and just really seeing it as a really like important and really worthwhile responsibility to tend to the home and seeing your home not just as the place that you live but just it's just it's huge I mean it's like where people grow up and you nourish yourselves and you create and it's just really it's a very I think if you see it in the right in a in a healthy perspective it's very spiritual Mm. to um tend the home but I don't always feel that way <laughs> let's be clear <laughs> oh, I like that realness there <laughs> so what does that look like okay I, I think you brought up some really good points but what does that look like for you like how do you hold that space and and really make it a place where your family wants to be um I think it's a lot about my attitude Mm. even more so than keeping things perfectly clean and perfectly organized and making super gourmet meals. Cause honestly, I'm really not that into cooking. <laughs> um, it's just about my intention and the energy that I put into it. And, um, for me just really making sure that it's a place where I've invited God in. I mean, it's huge when there's like the divine is living in your house Mm-hmm. And I've had people tell me they come in and they can feel it. They they feel the presence in my house of just loving and and I really do think that it has to do with um with the intention behind it because I you know, we have secondhand furniture and it's not some like super glamorous amazing place to be. I really do think that when you have the mindset um of home tending being sacred, it just changes the energy of your house. Wow. That is a really amazing perspective to have. I mean, I know you said that you don't always feel like that, but to to even like I guess I'm curious, like where did that mindset come from? Because I feel like I I grew up seeing my mom as a stay-at-home mom and she takes care of the house beautifully, but it wasn't necessarily something that she taught us how to do. So mm-hmm. by the time the role was thrust upon me, I'm over here scrambling like how to cook, like how to <laughs> how to keep things clean. And it, it felt like more yeah. of a chore than than like a sacred responsibility in the way that you framed yeah. it. So so where did that outlook come from? So um it definitely did start with my mom. 
Um, and the moms of some of my friends growing up. And it's funny, my, my, one of my dearest, dearest friends and I were talking about this, how, um, it was kind of just ingrained in us from the beginning of seeing our moms model what it, what it looked like for, um, women who truly like saw taking care of the home as a really, um, amazing thing to do. Mm and a really high calling. And so I think that from a young age, that was kind of ingrained in me. And I was taught from a very young age, you know, it was very much, we're all helping each other. We're all in this together. We're all contributing to the running of the home. And so I was taught from a young age, what that looks like to keep the home and do the laundry and um, make it look lovely and, and all that kind of stuff and, and making dinner and, um, yeah, I think that that's, it's just something that, and it's something that's always been an interest of mine, mm-hmm. like interior design and, and all of that kind of stuff has always been something that I've been into. And so I think that that helps me as well. Like that's kind of a passion of mine of, of beautifying homes. It definitely shows I've been to your home before and it, there is something just, so inviting and so peaceful about the space that you've created there. Thank you so much. That's so nice to hear. It's always so affirming. Like when you hear that and you're like, okay, (laughs) it's for something. Yeah. How are you showing Zia the way, like, are you, are you very intentional about talking to her and, and, and saying, this is what I'm doing and why, or are you modeling just through your actions? Um, Starting, I would say fairly recently, I've started inviting her into it more and showing her that she does need to participate in um, the keeping of the home in a very small scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just modeling it for her from a very young age, she's super into helping me. Um, and we've started in the morning just praying and just invite setting intentions for the day together. Ooh, I don't I like think that. she fully knows what's going on, but you know, I, I ask her if, if we can do that and she's like, okay, mommy. And so before we even get out of bed in the morning, that's what we do. And um, yeah, I just think that it's definitely something that as she gets older, I am more vocal about and she's still young. So I'm just in the very beginning stages of that, but it's definitely something that I want to not just model, but really teach her about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that will go such a long way as she's becoming a child, a young adult, a woman, um, and starting to think about the family she one day hopes to have. Yeah. So this is something we haven't touched on just yet, but I think it we would be remiss if you we were not to bring it up. Self-care. Mm-hmm. Yes. How were you introduced to the concept and how have you incorporated it if you have into your life? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was brought into my life through seeing everybody talk about it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like the buzzword of the century, especially on Instagram and on, especially on the mom pages, it's very important for mothers. Um, and it's something that, I really felt a need for, um, in a very, I don't know if you've experienced this way. Like 
you feel a need for deep self-care during pregnancy, but it's in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And it's in a very like, it was very consistent for me. And you're in that mindset of like, okay, I'm growing this baby. Like it was just different. And so then I practiced a lot of self-care just intuitively while I was pregnant. And then after having Zia, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like (laughs) when she was, when she was really young, Abby's office was close to work at the time. It's now moved further away, but he would come home for lunch every day. And I remember just it being a big thing for me to decide, you know what, I'm going to take a shower and get ready when Abby comes home from work for lunch every single day. And that just like, it was life changing for me um, to do that. So, I mean, it started really, really small. And I have, I mean, we could do a whole other podcast about (laughs) self-care I have so many thoughts about it and I think that my um my mindset around it has really shifted a lot um I would say even in the last year Mm. okay the way that I see it and the way that my definition of it and the way that I think um like a kind of deepening of it Mm -hmm. I think it can be very um it can just be really cheapened Mm. and like just kind of a buzzword that's being thrown around and like, Oh, we do face masks and we drink wine and that self care. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're doing ourselves a disservice in letting that be the true definition of what it is. Mm. So how have you begun defining it for yourself more recently? Um, For me, I really do believe that if it, if my active self-care doesn't involve some kind of spiritual aspect, and I don't necessarily mean religiously spiritual, mm-hmm. um, then it's not truly lasting restorative self-care that's going to carry me through and improve me as a mother and help me feel more centered and more myself and more in tune. I think that that's, um, that's a big thing. Instead of making it purely cosmetic or Mm -hmm. vegging out. I think that there's a time for both of those and that's great, but I wouldn't necessarily call that like self-care for me anymore. Okay. So give me a few examples of what self-care looks like for you in this current moment. So a big thing for me lately has been really diving deep into my writing again. Um. And it's something that I'm really excited about and that really does like fill me up and it takes me to, I, I write more um, like magical realism. Okay. And so it, it really does take me into a very spiritual aspect that's very outside of this world and kind of just, I mean, really activates like that creative part of me. And Today, Wednesday is usually the day that I drop Zia off with my mother-in-law for a few hours. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I started doing. I, I meet a bee for lunch and then I go and I'll write for like an hour and a half on my on my story. And yeah, it's really, really I just feel it just feels good afterwards. And it just carries me through more so than like sitting in a bathtub for 30 mm-hmm. minutes. As, as great as that feels and as, as much as I, you know, think that that's great and I, and I definitely try to do that, it's, this is just a little bit more, um, I don't know what the word would be. Fulfilling maybe? Yeah, yeah. 
like spiritually, mentally, everything fulfilling. Right, right. That is interesting. I think I'm starting to deepen my relationship with self-care as well. Um, and, and moving beyond, I guess, the superficial and, you know, the things that I can indulge in, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm not around mm-hmm. my child. But it's more like, what can I do that's going to leave me feeling fulfilled? And leave me feeling, you know, so bursting with lights that when I return to my child, I'm I'm able to pass that along to him. And that's yeah. not always, like you said, just vegging out or, you know, like drinking a glass of wine. I think even for me, like recording this podcast and and having these conversations are so just like yes. a balm for the soul, you know, just to be able to totally to express myself in a way that I haven't found was possible before. Um, and I don't know, it, it's something I'm still exploring. And I think, as you said too, like your, your mindset has shifted over time and I think that's okay. You know, perhaps self-care will look different for me um, as I yeah. continue in my journey and, and I don't necessarily have to hold fast to, to one certain like practice or one certain activity. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is really interesting how it has, how it has changed a lot and how that self-care of just taking a shower while a bee came home for lunch really was very, I mean, that was really taking care of myself and really, really helped me. Whereas now that, that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't be something it's like, okay, I'm, I'm at the point where I can take a shower every day, like whenever, you know, whenever I want I'm at a different phase of mothering. So I think that that's a really good point of like being okay with self-care changing and being very proactive in kind of what we were talking about before, reevaluating, figuring out what it is and being okay with things changing and being flexible enough to change and make adjustments. That's huge. I think if there's one thing that I've gotten from this conversation today with you is just be flexible and i'm really truly inspired by how open you have been to you know seeing things one way and then allowing yourself to sit and reflect and and take note of your personal values and then let go of how things were if it's no longer serving you i think that it's so restorative to be in that kind of mm. mindset um and it's not always easy to do but it's such a great reminder for all of the listeners out there to to make the time to to be still and and to really get quiet about what it is that you value and what it is that you want to bring mm. forward um within your your family dynamic yeah mm. yeah i think that that's the most important thing i love how you phrase that Yay. Well, our time is coming to an end, but before we wrap up, where can our listeners find you and and stay in touch with your work? So at this point, the most accessible place would be my Instagram. Okay. Um, and I post on there and I'm, I'm very accessible on there. So that would be, that would be the way to find me at this point. Yay. Perfect. Well, definitely go and check out her Instagram. She always shares really helpful tips about mothering and as a postpartum doula, she shares some insight um, and mothering the mother as well. So thank you so much for being on this podcast and for sharing some more about your, your journey and your experience with me and the listeners. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was so good to have some real, authentic, honest dialogue. And that's it for this episode of Young Honest Mother, the podcast, which means it's time for you to join the conversation. Share your thoughts on social media and tag me at Young Honest Mother. And then pass this episode along to friends and family who need to know that they're not alone on this journey either. Until next time, I'm your host, Maurice Young.